Welcome back to another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, what's a heat pump? Hearing a lot about them in the debate between the federal government and the opposition parties over carbon pricing, we find out how they work and how much benefit they might be to you. November is Women Abuse Prevention Month. We get a check on what is and isn't being done to prevent abuse against women. It's the playground to the north of the city, Muskoka. Former Barry Mayor, now District Chair of Muskoka, Jeff Lehman stops in for a check about some of the issues facing the region and we get our weekly look at how the Barry Colts are doing. We get the conversation started after this. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Hearing a lot these days about heat pumps, the government uh, trying to encourage people to do that because it's going to help with the carbon issue that we have. We wanted to find out a little bit more about them. So we contacted our friends at Georgian Home Comfort and they sent Randy Jackson over because he knows everything you need to know about heat pumps, apparently. Is that true? That's what I'm told. First question, obviously, what the hell is a heat pump? A heat pump is basically an air conditioner that reverses in the colder climate to allow us to draw heat from outside when it's a little bit cooler outside. And this is a a cheaper alternative to propane and electricity, but maybe not so much to to natural gas at this point? It runs on on electricity right now. So if you're on propane or oil, it is a really great idea. It's also a great idea to have if you're on natural gas because it allows you to get a higher end air conditioner, which reduces your electricity cost. And if the price of electricity goes down and the price of natural gas goes up, you're in a good position because it allows you to run that heat pump to, to produce heat and, and then use your natural gas furnace or your furnace in January, February to really boost that that heat that you'll need then heat pump can't keep up. So it sounds like in in the winter months you still might need to have a natural gas alternative to help keep things going. You would always need a, a backup source of heat in the winter time to help you keep up to the winter months that we have here in Ontario. But in the long run it would be cheaper than all of the alternatives? What they're hoping to do is reduce the amount of carbon footprint on and how much we use. But yes, in most of the time it's better to have the natural gas January, February. So I've got a natural gas furnace now. I could add a heat pump. I'm not getting rid of the natural gas furnace. It depends on the age of your furnace and what type of heat pump you're you're wanting. So the government has a list of qualified heat pumps, they either can go in on their own or they can go in with a furnace to match up to what the government's looking for. And then you, if you're on natural gas with Enbridge, you can qualify from $5,000 right up to 6500 with a home energy audit. Or they also have a program that you can get 4000 or 4500 back without the energy audit, you can just put in a heat pump. That's the thing. This isn't free. The government is is trying to convince people to do it, but it does come with a cost, but there are some incentives. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. So the the cost of a heat pump is much more than what you would pay for an air conditioner. So the government is offering that incentive to help people bump up to that higher heat pump cost and and still get the the benefit of it, of air conditioning in the summer and then using that heat pump in the winter. Are you getting a lot of people calling in wondering about them? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. There's it, there's a lot of questions about the program because there's a lot out there and there's a lot of advertisement and people offering things that, that seem outrageous, but uh, they're, they're hopefully getting 
the right information in the long run. If somebody wants more information, they can get a hold of you? Oh, definitely. They can call the office at 705-720-2665. Happy to answer any questions. Perfect. Randy, thanks for dropping by. Appreciate the knowledge and uh, we'll see how things go. Great. Thanks so much for having me. One in three women will experience sexual violence in their lifetime. They are three times more likely to experience stalking and three and a half times more likely to be a victim of intimate partner violence compared to men. Teresa McLennan of the Women and Children's Shelter Barry joins our Ian McLennan. Teresa, November is Woman Abuse Prevention Month Embrace Hope campaign. Tell us a bit about the campaign itself and uh, what it signifies and how the public gets involved. Well, we always hope that folks in the community are focusing and paying attention to domestic violence right here in our community. November is a very uh, pinpoint time that we want our community to recognize this pandemic that has been happening. And um, unfortunately, more women are losing their lives. Our shelter is seeing more women and children coming in who need support because they're fleeing violence. And so This month in particular is very important because we really want to highlight the numbers of women and children who are experiencing abuse right here in our city of Barrie. And um, there are um, purchases that can be made. Purple is the color. Mm -hmm. So we want to paint the city purple. Uh, uh, If you go to our website at barryshelter.com, we sell purple scarves, ties, socks, uh, everything purple, um, keychains. Uh, you know, special mugs. We want people to think about painting the town purple, and that is a way to show the community that you support women who are living in or trying to flee abuse and their children. And when you wear purple, it lets women know that you are with them and that you're walking alongside them and that you're supporting them. You have a 27-bed crisis shelter. Is it full almost all of the time? And you, I know you have uh, some housing situations, too, to, um, I, mean, I guess, alleviate some of that stress, for lack of a better word? So our emergency sh- uh, residential shelter is only supposed to have 27 beds. And unfortunately, we are always over that capacity. We run closer to 30 to 35 on any given night of women and children. We also have two dedicated beds for human trafficking victims, but we tend to have more than two in our shelter at any given time. So we are referring out over 500 women every year to other shelters and other supports, and women can also um, receive service from our outreach uh, programs, and that's women who may have been in our shelter or not who may be living with their abuser or not, and they are needing ongoing support. And that support can follow them uh, quite a long time in their lives because we know that women will frequently need to circle back to us because something is happening in their life and they need to um, to get some uh, counseling support for that. So, yes, we are always over capacity, and um, we do have uh, two transitional homes now, And we use that because we can try to move women out of the shelter sooner, move them into the transitional homes so that we can create more space in the shelter to bring more women in who need that immediate emergency help. It is really hard for us when a woman calls and she desperately needs to leave her abuser, but we don't have space. 
so we try our best to bring as many women and their kids in as possible. And we also use that support of transitional housing so that we can move women into that next stage of their journey and bring more women into the shelter when they desperately need it. According to the Ontario Association of Interval and Transition Houses, they put out a monthly report and uh, there have been at least 46 killings of women and girls for reasons related to gender, their gender mm-hmm. in Ontario in 2023 as of last month. And I'm going back actually to the month of September. Yeah. Um, is this an epidemic? Because the Ontario government has been asked to declare it such, but they have not. Yes. And so it's the epidemic that has been around um, in existence for a very long time. And Part of the movement to have it declared as an epidemic really can highlight the issue in the community and hopefully generate more funds to agencies that are trying to address the issue. Uh, Women and children's shelters, agencies that protect and support women experiencing domestic violence have long known that we are faced with an epidemic. The numbers have never ceased. The numbers have never Uh, dropped. They've only ever continued to increase. And we know that. We see that in the numbers of women and children, women who are calling our crisis line looking for support. We really do hope that all cities, all provinces are going to follow this trend and declare um, gender-based violence, intimate partner violence, a epidemic so that the appropriate amounts of funds, the appropriate amount of attention can actually go to the situation. Throughout the month of November, there was has been nine, or sorry, the month of October, there's been nine uh, women murdered and um, their children. And we know of the tragedy that just happened recently in Sault Ste. Marie, where a woman and um, her three children were murdered. And so we've got to pay attention to these numbers. We've, we've got to recognize that the numbers are not decreasing, but they're only uh, increasing. Now, domestic violence has been declared an epidemic by some jurisdictions. I'll throw out Toronto, Peel, Renfrew County, Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Have we seen anything in Barry, Aurelia, or Simcoe County? We have and have not. you made that request, maybe, too? Yeah, so we haven't made that request. We are hoping that our city will follow suit as well. We certainly know that the city recognizes the issue. They participate in uh, Women Abuse Prevention Month, and they will be at our flag raising um, on November the 27th. And so we really do hope that all of our cities in Simcoe County and across the province are going to declare this as an epidemic so that we can really give it the attention that it needs to have. Um, what what difference would it make by declaring an epidemic? I think, you know, people think epidemic, they think uh, health. Um, yet I would imagine a lot of the people you you um, work with access health services to deal with the, the events that they've experienced. Am I right there? Yes. People have no idea of the um, systemic impacts that gender-based violence has in the community. And if I can put it this way in terms of cost. So if there is a woman who is being abused and she needs to come into the shelter, that woman will access the court system, she'll access health care, she'll take time off of work, she may need to go to counseling, her children will be involved in counseling. There's so many systems that she will intersect with, and there's a financial cost to every single one of those. And what we don't ever put is a dollar value to that. 
if we invested money in the shelter systems now at the forefront and had the appropriate level of services and supports available, women will get what they need. We can decrease the amount of uh, domestic violence incidents and then also decrease the cost and the burden that is on all those other systems. And if we look at it that way, about what is the cost of domestic violence, perhaps people will think about it a little differently. It is always surprising to me when I speak to groups or individuals who say to me, I never knew that women were being abused. I never knew that that was still happening. I thought that that was over. Our numbers don't lie. The numbers certainly do say a different story. And so this month in particular is really to let our community know that there are women right here, right now in our city of Barrie who are being abused, who need the support, who need a community to wrap around them and help them. And we really, really hope that November being Women Abuse Prevention Month and awareness, that we are going to create dialogue and communication with our community, that we get people talking about the issue, and that is how we're going to make change happen. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. You can get caught up on previous programs and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, the Barry Colts had their game faces on last weekend going three for three. We take a look at their reversal of fortune and we find out what the District of Muskoka is talking about with District Chair and former Mayor of Barry, Jeff Lehman. Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. And just like that, the Barry Colts are back in the thick of things in the OHL Eastern Conference. Had a banner weekend last weekend and hope for the same this weekend. Barry 360's Will Conkin has Colts broadcaster and writer Gene Pereira on the line. Never a dull moment with uh, this club, hey, Gene. Uh, Colts rattle off three wins in a row, 5-3 five, three, five, three against Kingston to start things off. Another win over Mississauga, 3-1, then old rivals at the Battalion, 4-2. Um, it seemed like a lot of the young guys were uh, really making an impact in these ones, eh? Yeah, it was an outstanding weekend, especially for the young group. I mean, they were all there with veterans like Frask and Boeke. Uh, he injured himself on Friday night, and then... Uh, Weigel as well, so he kind of carried the day, that 5-3 win over Kingston. Uh, Shamar Moses got his first couple of goals of his OHL career after a pretty good start, was kind of snake-bitten there, but he just, uh, again, he's kind of leading the way there, an outstanding uh, young player, their first-round pick. And then on Friday night, Mississauga, uh, you know, Sam Hillbrand bounced back after that tough start in Ottawa where he got pulled after giving up four goals 
Um, you know, he bounced back with an outstanding effort, especially in the third. I think he stopped 17 shots there uh, against Mississauga uh, to hold on for lead. And then he got the start again against North Bay in that win as well. And the same thing where North Bay was pressing really hard in the third period. Hill Brandt was outstanding and, uh, and helped Barry solidify you know, the third win, a, a sweep of the weekend. Colts are kind of bunched up, I kind of guess, in the standings. Uh, it really looks like a tight race. It seems like every game really matters. Yeah, you know, you go from, like, you know, a focus of where they lose six of eight and they're struggling and they make the move to the youth release and Cooper Matthews and so on. But, you know, then they come back and sweep the weekend and all of a sudden you look at it, well, they're four points at a top spot in the conference. And, you know, and really, again, just six points separate the top nine out of ten teams in the conference, which really tells you there's nobody really running away with it. And it's it's still somewhat early, but, uh, you know, we're a quarter into the season, and it, it shows that maybe uh, nobody's going to run away with the East and that this young group, uh, if they play like they did this weekend, uh, they can find themselves in the mix. Colts hit the road today, take on the Ice Dogs, then uh, host the Gulf Storm on Saturday. What do you see happening in these ones? Yeah, I mean, obviously Thursday in, in St. Catharines and, you know, the bit of the rivalry, the Central Division rivals, the, the Ice Dogs, but they've really struggled. They've undergone a coaching change and an opportunity, a game that really barely should, uh, you know, you, you want to get a win here uh, in, in, in Niagara and, uh, you know, again, start the weekend off well. And then you return home on Saturday to face a Gulf Storm team that's a pretty good team in the Western Conference. and. But again, an opportunity where you're coming off some success and, you know, you, you hope that you can build on that confidence that you gained from this past weekend. Always a pleasure. Thanks again, Gene. Thanks, Will. Been a year since he handed the chain of office in Barrie over to Alex Nuttall, and almost a year since Jeff Lehman ventured north and became district chair for Muskoka. Similar issues, sir, different circumstances. How's it going? Uh, very well. Um, there are certain things that are completely different, uh, but what's not different is that, you know, municipalities, we're, we're about making improvements in people's ordinary lives, their daily lives, in their communities, and it's pragmatic. Uh, and I do find um, the people who run for council in Muskoka and district council and staff are very pragmatic. It is a little less political even than uh, it was here in Barrie uh, towards the end of my time as mayor. Would that be the biggest difference between the city and the district? Uh, well, no. District's an upper tier municipality. So this is like being warden of Simcoe County. Mm -hmm. The services are different. Um, in some ways, the scale is much larger, certainly the geography. I mean, Muskoka, District of Muskoka stretches from Georgian Bay to Algonquin Park. It's uh, 6,000 square kilometers, enormous. Uh, and obviously the population, although it's about the same as Barrie when you include all those cottages and, and second homes, uh, it's very spread out. So this is much more about delivering services in a, in a rural and small town environment. That's a lot different than being mayor of the city of Barrie. Um, I would say, though, uh, the challenges, there are many challenges that are the same. They just hit differently. You know, the housing crisis, probably number one, as it is here, but it hits a lot differently in Muskoka. How so? Um, the solutions are different, and what it looks like, I think, in the communities is a little bit different. So um, there is, there are, we have a by-name list of people who are homeless. There is homelessness in Muskoka, not perhaps on the same scale as we see it here in Barrie. Um, and this, but the solutions are a lot different. I, you know, when you build a house in Southern Ontario, you 
dig trenches in a foundation in dirt. In Muskoka, you got to blow up rock <laughs> and then break it up and truck it out. And it just makes it much more expensive. And, and obviously, housing in, in Bracebridge and Gravenhurst is not going to be 25-story uh, apartment buildings around transit. It's about um, what's, what's always referred to as the missing middle or gentle density. What is the same? You know, if you're a worker in Muskoka, whether you're in manufacturing or tourism or whatever you do, so hard to find an apartment to rent. If you're setting out on your own for the first time, you're early in life or, or senior trying to rent an apartment, good luck finding one at any reasonable cost. And and that's a supply problem. So that I really, I'm really, in, I suppose, enjoying in the sense that housing is something that I've been working on for a while. And uh, I find people are very motivated to to fix the problem. How do you get it fixed, though? There are so yeah. many uh, hoops and uh, things to jump through and, and red tape to get through. And uh, yet, I know in, in Barrie, there, <laughs> there's a, a lot of uh, plans that have been uh, okayed, but uh, you got to get shovels in the ground and that's not happening. Well, what's interesting, um, I've actually, I'm working on a piece about this because I think the experience in Barrie is kind of instructive for municipalities across the province. Um, Barrie's managed to roughly triple the, the pace of housing starts um, over the course of about four or five years. I think that, you, and so there, there are a lot of things that, that were done in Barrie and continue to be done by this council that, that are really helping to, to increase the supply of housing. Um, I think what is quite different, though, um, uh, for Muskoka, you're right. I mean, the, aside from the practical constraints of smaller towns, more expensive servicing, those sorts of things, um, you know, the the uh, building community is different. Uh, there's obviously a lot of focus because of the, the incredible value of, of much of Muskoka real estate. Uh, you know, there's a lot of value on build, or a, a focus on building luxury homes. Uh, and cottages and resorts and so forth. So that's where the government kind of does need to step in. I mean, it's not it's not that the federal or provincial government, uh, local or district, are going to build all the rental apartments we need. We need those to be built by the development community. But we probably need to help change the economics because it's not getting built. So what does that look like? Lots of provincial land, lots of district and locally owned land that we're trying to now offer up uh, for affordable housing. Uh, we are taking a look at building some more um, uh, public housing, particularly for seniors, because we have a wait list in Muskoka as well. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of great organizations. One thing I'm, I've very much learned about Muskoka, it is full of incredible little organizations that want to do good things. But they're often challenged by being little. You know, they have one staff member, two staff members, operating budget of $100,000. Tough to get, you know, a, a project as big as a housing uh, a project built when you're, when you're that size. So that's where the district wants to step in and really lead. How big is the challenge with uh, the fact that you have a, a seasonal population as well as a, a year-round population? Uh, some of them come up just for, for the summertime, some have winterized cottages and, and they come up and there was this huge influx of, of people during the pandemic right. and, and that's created challenges. It has. It's interesting, you know, both my uh, uh, neighbors up in uh, in Lake Bays moved up full time. Uh, they used to be cottagers either side of us and now they're full time residents. One's a young family. Um, during COVID, they moved moved out of southern Ontario and up to the cottage and their kids are in school in Huntsville. 
so that put a lot of pressure actually on on everything in Muskoka because there was this sudden influx, 10% population growth in three years. That's faster than Barrie, and we, we know the growth pressures in Barrie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's that has moderated since. I think a lot of people did that because of COVID. Now what's going on is is a little bit slower growth. Um I think the, the the biggest challenges that we're really seeing with the with the seasonal and and permanent population is just you know there the the price of uh, seasonal properties is extremely high and um, you know it's not we're not going to solve the affordable housing crisis on the waterfront anywhere I mean that's no. a general statement yeah doesn't matter whether we're talking about uh, Oakville Barrie you know or Bracebridge uh, it's not waterfront property that is affordable so. So what we're looking at doing is in the towns where there's, you know, full municipal services, uh, where people uh, uh, are even in, able in, in some cases to take transit to work, but where there's water and sewer and all the things you need to build more housing, try and get some of that that medium density housing built. And, um, you know, I think the seasonal um, growth that we're seeing does provide the district and the local towns with revenue that they can then, we can then use for, uh, to, to assist uh, in getting more affordable housing built. The pandemic sucked the life out of the city of Barrie. How did it affect Muskoka and uh, how are you coming out of it? You know, it's really interesting because uh, I'm the new guy, right, in Muskoka. I didn't go through this uh, as a political leader in Muskoka. So, uh, I'll, but uh, what I have learned in the last year is, it, it was a real mix. In some places, um, business during the pandemic was better because people fled uh, southern Ontario and came to places like Muskoka either to live at the cottage or to stay and do or camp. Camping exploded, as you may remember. Mm-hmm. Algonquin Park was incredibly busy. All the camping campgrounds and things were incredibly busy. So portions of the economy – um, actually saw um, no decrease in business, but of course everybody suffered from the closures. And so it doesn't matter how many you know tourists are in town, if the restaurants are closed, the restaurants are forced to be closed and it's, it's deadly for their businesses. What's going on right now is really interesting. There's, um, well, interesting is probably an optimistic word for it. We have workforce shortages and uh, they're quite severe. So in uh, the restaurant sector, in the tourism sector, hotels, they're busing in employees, in some cases from Barrie, um, GTA, certainly healthcare. We're seeing agencies bring in staff from Southern Ontario. Uh, and that is partly due to the cost of housing in Muskoka. People can't afford to live there. So, um, it, but, you know, the employers can't be short 20% of their staff. And so they're paying people to, uh, to drive up. That's not a sustainable situation. We want to try and help fix that. When you say mm-hmm. not affordable, what are we talking about uh, price-wise, rental or whatever? The rents in some cases, I mean, rents are a little bit lower than they are here in Barrie, for example. That doesn't um, say much. <laughs> but it doesn't say much because it's so expensive here uh, in Barrie as well. And and I would say the other thing is the, the major issue is just availability. There's just nothing out there. Muskoka's vacancy rate is below 1%. That's well below anything in Simcoe County. Anywhere in Simcoe County, Muskoka is worse in terms of um, availability of rental apartments. So the biggest issue is just finding it. I mean, uh, as a workaround, I'll give you an example. The, the hospital started trying to get people to offer up rooms for hospital staff to come and live in uh, while they looked for a place uh, either to, to buy or a rent. A billeting kind of thing. Absolutely. Just like yeah. hockey, yeah. you know, and uh, and they had a little bit of success with that. Not 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 as much as they hoped. 
And again, uh, the, it was the availability. There were people who were willing to do that, but you know, trying to trying to move your family up into a a room or two in someone else's house, not a great answer. So we we know that the solution is more housing, but you're right; it's going to take time. You have had property in Muskoka for years and years mm. and years. You, you're a regular visitor, more so now probably than you were before. Yeah. But I suspect in the last year you have discovered something, some little gem in Muskoka that you had no idea oh, existed. Man. Yeah, so many. Um, so, so many. I mean, there's the places, there are places of just spectacular beauty. And I think most people who aren't from Muskoka experience it first by sort of driving to wherever they're going and seeing these beautiful things, you know, these lakes and and forests and bays and maybe high points with views. And um, But once you, um, as I have done, start to explore the district road network, which stretches to places like, you know, 12-mile bay on Georgian Bay, which is way into um, the sort of um, uh, the edge of Georgian Bay, far, you know, away from Highway 400, there's incredible, two incredible First Nations in um, Muskoka, Wata, and Moose Deer Point. And getting to know them a little bit has been really rewarding. And I'm only starting that relationship, which should um, build over time. Um, but but even that, um, you know, you for, for people whose experience of Muskoka might be you know, Gravenhurst Bay or going to a golf course or staying at a hotel or snowmobiling or whatever, um, starting to get to know the people and the communities that aren't as well-known that have been there for hundreds of years or longer um, has been really, really rewarding. Somebody wants more information or wants to try and find these places for a day trip or a weekend trip. How do they go about that? There's various tourism marketing pieces uh, up uh, for Muskoka. Um, online is always your best bet, but my, my advice is to read the reviews. I, I mean, and that's kind of how I do tourism planning anyway, but this is something that we've really fostered. We have something called the Muskoka Tourism Marketing Agency, um, which maintains our website and pushes out to, to tourists, the opportunities to see things. So go to the website and, and also, um, take a look on social media, especially because, you know, Instagram, Facebook uh, are actually really good to look up stuff in Muskoka because there's the, there are these little groups of um, people who live or visit or own property in Dorset uh, or in Honey Harbor. And uh, the stories there and the, the little secrets, uh, as you say, the businesses, the local restaurants, the family-owned businesses uh, are there. And they're often just a tiny bit off the highway. And it is really worth the extra five minutes. Always good to chat with you, sir. Uh, don't be a stranger. Come back and see you soon. Thanks, Dan. Jeff Lehman. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for pulling it all together, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to what Barry's talking about, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with what Barry's talking about on X at Barry360 and on our website, barry360.com. Some of you can still see us on Facebook, and there's our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.